This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. The diagnosis of a disability brings a firestorm of emotion. There's grief, fear, anger, and uncertainty. Many parents of small children already struggle with adjusting to parenting. These parenting challenges deepen if the child has a disability. Of course, many parents want to do the right thing by their kids with disabilities. Parents struggle to find the right terms to communicate with educators or physicians. Many parents turn to the internet, websites or blogs for information about a health condition or diagnosis. They hope that the information is credible and up to date. Health information then provides a means for parents to feel connected with others in the same boat when they might otherwise feel adrift. Today, we discuss plain language health information. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Joyita Gupta. I hope for those of us who celebrated Thanksgiving this past weekend, you had a bit of a nice break from everything, enjoyed your long weekend, spent some time with family and friends, maybe had some turkey with stuffing and all the usual Thanksgiving trimmings. It's been a pretty busy week afterwards, and I'm excited to dive into the study I happened to come across quite by accident on Twitter, which is a study that looks at cerebral visual impairment and the availability of plain language information. To talk more about it, we're joined by two co-authors of the study, John Ravenscroft and Helen St. Clair Tracy. They're both joining us today from Edinburgh, Scotland. Hello, and welcome to both of you. Hello. Hello, uh, and it's great to hear you all. Thank you. John, let me start with you. Before we get into talking about the study, what exactly is a cerebral visual impairment? How would you go about defining that? Well, that's a great question. And it's such a great question in the sense that we still do not have a unified definition of exactly what cerebral visual impaired is that is agreed amongst academics, amongst medical professionals, practitioners across the world. However, we use cerebral visual impairment as, a, as a, an umbrella term embracing a wide variety of brain-related visual and perceptual difficulties that is affecting a way a person sees. So rather than say uh, cerebral visual impairment, we tend to now use the term cerebral visual impairments because it's not just one thing, it is many things. Would you agree with that, Helen? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's an umbrella term of um, many, many different brain-based impairments of vision, and you can get them from birth, acquired, you can have them mildly, severely, you can have one, you can have lots. So it's actually an enormous range of conditions under one umbrella term. So Helen, is this a, a, a range of conditions that's common amongst children, or is it prevalent in adults as well? It's both. It's probably more commonly understood in children, but it's um, you can be acquired as part of the onset with dementia, uh, if, with stroke, multiple sclerosis. But it's very much under-diagnosed and not terribly well understood in the adult population. But in children with um, uh, who are born prematurely with issues affecting oxygen to the brain. 
when they were born, and also an enormous number that um, causes are not known. It's considered increasingly prevalent at a rate of about one in every class of 30 are affected by CVI and around 80% of those are struggling at school somewhere. And in children with special educational needs in special schools, it's between a quarter to a half, maybe even more of those. And pretty much all of them are undiagnosed. John, do you think that the trouble that Helen's describing with pinning down a diagnosis may have to do with the fact that we really can't seem to be able to nail down a definition that it in fact covers a range of conditions? Well, well, quite possibly. I mean, I, I think it's, um, whilst I think cerebral vision impairments have been around since 1918, if, if not even earlier than that, but it's been first reported as that, it's been a relatively new focus of attention in research and academic fields. And I think part of that new attention is just trying to, it's a new field, right? And and every year, the, the number of academic papers on cerebral visual impairments uh, is exponential. And so I think it's that we're a new field, we're beginning to understand it with the help of neuroscience, we're beginning to understand exactly what cerebral vision impairments are within children as that. So, and I think part of that is getting to a definition. We haven't quite got a definition, but we're getting to a definition. Another issue, I think, why we still haven't quite got a definition of what cerebral vision impairment is, is that it's not really a focus yet of pediatric ophthalmology. While there are some experts in pediatric ophthalmology uh, across the world who are working with children with cerebral visual impairments, it's not on the training programs. It's not a, it's not a main focus of their work. These are just a specialist expertise who have a, a major interest in cerebral visual impairments. So, so I think until it's become fully recognized by the governing bodies that it is a a specific diagnosis in itself with its own specific definition, I think we'll be struggling to get a unified formal diagnosis. Helen, a few minutes back, you talked about how many kids with forms of CVI struggle in schools. Do you feel that the lack of it, of, of research into this or the lack of acknowledgement by the ophthalmology profession is contributing to some of the challenges that parents may have or educators may have in determining how to deal with a child who might be living with CVI? I think one of the big challenges is the sort of accommodations they, they need in schools are, are really unpopular. And one of them is, for example, decluttering classrooms and, and properly decluttering, not a nice, neat, neat, tidy classroom, but a classroom that doesn't have posters on the wall and multicoloured cushions and stuff like that and and I'm not sure what it's like in Canada but certainly here then inspectors will come along and they will ask well why where's all the stuff on the walls and so it's um the accommodations needed are not always popular they're not terribly well understood uh, in terms of how to make learning material appropriate for the children and including where increasingly there are smart screens in schools televisions in schools and in fact you know just today we're having a conversation just arguing you know we really need to go back to blackboards and chalk and teachers and talk old school teaching is the most accessible but we're moving away from accessible teaching to increasingly inaccessible teaching and, and paradoxically technologies are coming in to make accessible teaching that is inaccessible because of technology 
And it's 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 a really complicated problem where everything is sort of going in many respects in, in the wrong direction. And with that is also the fact that there is this lack of understanding because the vast majority of children are undiagnosed and their difficulties, and, and you know, 80% of them have difficulties on some level at school, are, are attributed to other labels or other things, you know, sort of like a, a clumsiness or a being shy or isolated and all, the, all these behavioural outcomes of, of CVI. And people don't think to look at vision because they often pass a standard sight test. It looks like they can see okay, but it's different elements of the vision that are the problem. So it's a it's, it's a complicated conundrum to sort out. There's no simple answer to that question. I'm not sure if you want to add anything to that, John. Well, well, I think that's right. I, I think there is, um, to coincide with the ophthalmologist, it's that, that CVI needs to be recognised as a training programme, I think, for all teachers of learners with a visual impairment. So all of your CVI programs in Canada and North America need to have um, CVI as a as an option module on their course. And there are one or two that are beginning to have that, but not all. And I think it's that it's that understanding of exactly what cerebral visual impairment is, some of the strategies that we need to do. And then once we've got the training programs, I think, with the TVIs, then we need to have it on initial teacher education uh, programs as well, because the strategies that we may suggest, and we've put some into the paper that you're looking at, um, is actually suitable for all children. So we're not mm-hmm. saying let's do this for children with only for uh, cerebral vision impairments, but you know, decluttering that environment will be good for all children. And that's the kind of work that we're starting to look at now. John, I think I and Helen, I think I re- realized that I might have gotten a bit ahead of myself here a bit. Uh, John, just tell me a little bit about what someone with CVI may or may not be able to see. Oh my goodness me! <laughs> that's a, a, that's a, a, a. so it depends on how you define C. Let's put it like that. So mm-hmm. um, uh, let let let's take. So there are two. Uh, th- there may be more, but actually, but there are two basic streams that, from your eyes, go back into the occipital lobe, into the back of back of the head there, and then mm-hmm. from the occipital lobe, I, I, I always use this, and some people like it or not, as an analogy. The occipital lobe is like a sorter, like a card sorting machine, and sorts mm-hmm. out where vision goes. Some people call it like a post office where they sort out cards. I like the card sorting machine. And, and some of the information from that eye, from the occipital lobe, will go up to, to a dorsal stream, and some of it will go along to a ventral stream. Now, I say the word stream, I'm not so sure that I really want to say a stream, it's more of a network. So every time I say the word stream, think of it as a network where they are interconnected. But along the dorsal stream, what we have is a very fast visual system on, on the dorsal stream. And it is sometimes described as the, um, I call it the how system now. So how, how we move our body through space. So how we, how we see the world and how we visualize ourselves in, in that 3D world of space. So with the dorsal stream, you may have damage to part of that posterior parietal lobe where you may get something along the lines of what's called simultaneous agnosia. There are mm-hmm. lots of different ways to say it, Helen. How do you say it, Helen, by the way? Simultaneous agnosia. Yeah, you say the same as me. Just a couple of my colleagues say the tan bit stresses that. So I I, I call it simultaneous. Um, What is that is if you're in a classroom, can you imagine being in in a primary school classroom and Mm -hmm. you've got 
you've got all these posters on the wall you've got all these things and i've seen many classrooms where you have streamers coming down from the ceiling you've got bags on the floor you've got coats everywhere you've got children running all all running around a really great and what looks like a fantastic learning environment but what actually you have is a very complicated visual scene. And you might then just have too much information going into that dorsal stream information that's being processed by, by the dorsal stream. And it goes over what can be described like a threshold where that visual system will close right down and you'll be only able to see a very, very limited part of that visual scene. And we don't know which part you're going to focus on. And in order to try and appraise that very limited tiny visual scene of that whole classroom that the child has to has to move physically move move their body in space move around move, move that force that visual system to go around to try and get a holistic image of that visual scene very tiring very very difficult and can you imagine trying to process a, a, a busy primary school classroom when you can only see a very small tiny 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 bit of that visual scene so that's the dorsal stream helen i don't know if you want to go on to the ventral yeah yeah <laughs> i mean just so like the, the ventral stream is very much the recognition part of the, of the visual system so if it's sort of um this is a podcast so whatever the, sort of the viewers are looking at whilst they're listening to this maybe they're sort of looking out the window or something like that everything that they visually recognize has gone through that system john described starting with the occipital lobes where the pitch is made and then the the ventral stream takes the information and it, it, it connects with your memories your visual memories of what you've seen before and it says, okay, well, that's a bird in the garden or, or that's a mm -hmm. car going past or whatever. And all these systems are going on all the time. And if they are not working, typically, it absolutely causes havoc. I mean, just something as simple as recognising roots, anything that has a place, like your sock in a sock drawer, to get mm. to it, it needs a root to get there. And that root is a right temporal lobe recognition process if that right temporal lobe is not recognizing things typically for example child maybe had hydrocephalus where when they were younger then when it comes to finding things that is going to be difficult and and if you mm -hmm. think about on a day-to-day -day basis how often you, you you use that process of finding things everything you go for involves that root recognition process and and this is where you just get all these little difficulties that start to compound and um, become in many these these learning difficulties that they have and that's like everything that you see that you recognize including things like learning how to do maths and numbers and those sums that, that you can do with, with the plus mm -hmm. signs and the equal sign to be remembered it has to be seen in the first place and, and so these recognition processes can be very impaired and um, and then you've got the combination of what John was describing where these are children who can often only see one thing at a time sometimes nothing at a time and it's extremely dynamic it can be extremely frightening for them and very stressful very confusing and that all kinds of like just just builds into just too many difficulties for many to find learning accessible let alone easy or enjoyable joining me today from edinburgh scotland are study co-authors john ravenscraft and helen st Clair tracy helen we have so far neglected to talk about your study give us an overview of what you were trying to learn with your study and how you went about conducting it. 
course, I'll just to very quickly say it's cerebral visual impairment, not cognitive visual impairment. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just that. I think we were just interested to understand how the website CVI Scotland was being used because what it is is something very new and very ambitious where a website was created to teach anyone who wanted to learn from any background comprehensively this incredibly complex subject and that included parents of children but it has been used widely by pretty much everyone involved in the field of cerebral visual impairment so this free resource uh, has sort of grown and grown and grown over the years become extremely popular and we just thought well let's have a look at how it's being used what can we learn about um, how people are engaging with the website can we make it better and so we have the benefit of google analytics on the website and so we just looked at a huge bunch of figures basically and we say it was absolutely fascinating when we looked at like in 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 sub-saharan africa more people used mobile phones to access the website than in sort of north america and and, and western northern europe where it's much more computer based it's the the pages people were looking at there are areas that are very well known like around visual acuity and visual fields that we you know, initially thought, well, people won't be looking at that. They'll be looking at the really complicated stuff that hasn't been well reported, but they are they're looking at the basic stuff as well. And, um, and and just looking at the age group as well. And, and it's, a, it's a younger group of people who are looking at the website, which is also interesting. But I mean, you're just handing over to John on this point because it, 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 the age of the VI teacher is actually older in most countries. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Certainly within the UK, what we see is that it's a much more of, of a later profession for, for uh, qualified teachers of learners with visual impairment. And so you would expect it to see that being replicated within our website, that it would be an older portfolio, but that, that wasn't the case. One of the uh, um, most amazing findings that I think that we didn't realise was the global reach of, of, so here we are, we're in Scotland, where both Helen and I are, are, are in Edinburgh, we're, we're a small little charitable organisation with, with you know, it's a reasonably sized website, but really, you know, who, who knew about cerebral vision impairment, and that's why you're doing, we're doing this podcast for you today, mm-hmm. and yet, over over the period of time, over the four years, we've had 80,000 hits oh. to the website from over 170 countries. It's being accessed by people in over 170 countries, which is which is amazing. So people from all over the world are beginning to show interest within cerebral visual impairment. And I and I find that a most amazing amazing discovery that that we thought it it was just going to be within maybe the UK perhaps America and Canada you know maybe a little bit in Australia but that's just not the case it's just not the case it's it's by all over the world so we we found that quite quite interesting there are some examples and there are some countries where it isn't being done isn't being looked at but um yeah 150 countries 170 countries Clearly, you you were surprised by that particular finding. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, John, is how this the availability of plain language information on a website like this one, CVI Scotland, how does the fact that people access this website as regularly as they do dovetail with their ability to have conversations with their physicians about CVI? Is it a substitute for not being able to have a conversation with their family doctor or ophthalmologist? 
that's a great question. It's it's superb. So uh, it's never a substitute to have instead of having a conversation. We would always recommend that you seek uh, and support from the the health professional. But actually, what we what we have tried to do is is to help people to address the imbalance, the power imbalance between that of the practitioner and that of the parent or the child or the person themselves with CVI, to try and understand and be able to, to communicate on a level playing field in order to talk exactly on the same level with that practitioner, whether it's a health professional or whether it's a QTVI. And, and I think there are many, many cases of health-seeking behavior by parents, by children, by people uh, with all sorts of different conditions, trying to understand the condition that they have so they are able to have a conversation. You, you can imagine a situation where maybe a parent and a child are in the ophthalmologist and, and, and after a series of assessments and exams, the, the ophthalmologist says, well, you know, um, I, I think your child has cerebral vision impairment. This is the very first time that a parent has ever heard this, the mm-hmm. child has ever heard this, and, and they, you know, they go, okay, yeah, no. Very distressing, very emotional, very, very traumatic for the parent and for the child. And so when they go home, they, they what is this? What is this cerebral visual impairment? What what is so so the website and, and it's Helen who has helped to set it up, so Helen can come in on this in a minute, is really there to help and support in that plain language way people to understand the condition of cerebral visual impairment and then perhaps that parent can go back to the ophthalmologist and go okay okay so my child has simultaneous agnosia so what does that mean in in terms of the child's vision what does that mean in terms of support and the strategies that we can use so it's so it's never a substitute and we want to make that Mm -hmm. quite clear as a substitute but it is a way of improving your own health information Helen Mm -hmm. you set this up yeah I think one of the things that we're trying to do is create a a shared language for this condition because everybody from every different profession has their own particular language to talk about it whether it's a parent a teacher an ophthalmologist an optometrist a pediatrician you know there, there are so many people in these children's lives and so by really with an incredible international team of volunteers to help help them uh, with the writing of CVI Scotland is create something that will be acceptable to everybody in terms of accuracy, uh, particularly relating to published research, but also be a way to explain it so that, for example, an ophthalmologist or a paediatrician can find the words to explain it to a parent and a parent can also understand in the pages that we write recognize their children for example and explain it back to the doctors and then everybody is is using the same simple common language it's um and it, and it has been absolutely fascinating I mean just, just you know for that four-year period 80,000 people over half a million page views and, and this is a, a tiny organization as John was saying we're just in the little corner of Edinburgh we have mm-hmm no budget, no money, we have no marketing or anything. We just have this one product, which is really high quality information uh, and the world has gone for it. And I think that there was a, there is a need for it. And, and and I suspect there is a need for it across other conditions as well, where we're not trying to sell anything, we're not promoting anything, we're not connected to anything commercial or any product. It, it, there's no advertising on the website. 
it is purely to offer this free information resource. And it's just been wonderful to sort of like just sort of like actually look at the numbers and just say, wow, this is really popular. It doesn't mean we haven't found ways we can't make it better. And we made a number of improvements on the website because of this study actually directly as a result. And one of them was making the homepage and accessibility throughout it easier. And I think that was another thing that was really enlightening was you know, when things about accessibility in relation to font sizes and background colors and captions and things like that. But there's a real issue with accessibility around, are, are you writing in a way that, that people can understand that there are issues with confidence of learning? If you're just blinding people with science, they're not gonna go more than mm -hmm. a few lines along and, and, and stuff like that. And um, and the fact that it's free, well, it's free if you've got free Wi-Fi. If you're in a country where data is very expensive, then actually it's not free. There's not a charge to use it. But, um, and so that there's, you know, we've got a, a very big wish list at the end of, of this, but um, it, it's been an incredibly important learning opportunity for us. And for me as well, regrettably, we're almost at the end of our time together. John, just before we let both of you go, what is the website for CVI Scotland for anyone who's looking for more information? Well, I think you've just said it. So it's cviscotland.org. Wonderful. John Ravenscroft and Helen St. Clair Tracy, thank you to both of you for being on the program. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. That was John Ravenscroft and Helen St. Clair Tracy, the co-authors of a recently published study that looked at the availability of plain language information on the CVI Scotland website. And of course, we talked a little bit about their study and what CVI is, as well as some of their findings in their recently published study. We'll put a link up to the study on, as well as the CVI Scotland website on our blog. If you missed any of our conversation, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Our technical producer for The Pulse is Nasreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI Audio and Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening. Stay safe and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.